Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. This is episode number 103, and we're going to explore the subject of making better images, whether they're stills or video. Certainly the final outcomes look different, but the process to success is the same. So let's get to it. Have you ever heard the theorem that in order to make better images, you need to be shooting more? Cutting right to the chase, this is a load of what Robin Williams would have called pee pee caca no substance. You've heard as well that doing the same thing and expecting different results is a definition of insanity. Yep, that's true as well. It takes more than just repetition to get better. Volume and value are not equitable. Shooting more doesn't create more value. Blasting away doesn't make for better images. As Obi-Wan Kenobi once said, a lightsaber is an elegant weapon, not clumsy and random like a blaster. So for those of us who want to grow, it's important that we learn not to be a blaster and to use our camera like a lightsaber with finesse and talent and skill. At this point, you might be saying, what the hell does that mean? What's he on about? Simply put, it means that you accept that the image is not made in the camera. Instead, it's made in the mind of the creator. Folks who get caught up in arguments over which camera is better, well, they've not only missed the point, they've boarded the wrong bus that's headed directly to nowhere. Step one to learning to make better images is to learn to see. Now, a tool that everybody should have to help learn to see is a book. So head over to your local Amazon site and buy yourself a copy of Photography and the Art of Seeing by Freeman Patterson. By the way, this book is going to be useful whether you shoot stills, video, or you paint with a brush. Because when you don't see, you're putting yourself in a very difficult position as a creator. Read the book. Make notes that translate the ideas into your own thoughts. Then read it again. Learning isn't hard, but it requires active engagement and diligence on your part. What this is going to do is help you learn how to visualize your final shot in your mind's eye. And when you can do that, and only when you can do that, do you bring the camera into the situation. Consider your composition, your angle of view, and your exposure choices to ensure that they align with your mental vision and make a shot. And stop. Now you need to look at the image of the video. Do it on as large a display as is feasible for you. Maybe that's the camera LCD. Maybe you might find that a larger display that runs on a battery that you can drive from your camera's HDMI port is a better choice. I have to admit that as I get older, I find personally that this method is serving me better. The LCD is just too small and it requires me to zoom in too much and I lose context. In fact, before you zoom in, no matter what mechanism you're using, zooming in is a tool that allows us to check for sharpness and other things that are technical in nature. So before you do that, look at the entire image or the clip 
in its entirety. Is it representing what you envisioned? You remember that thing in your mind's eye? Did the shot get it? If the answer is no, you don't need to go any further with it because it's time to make another attempt. Now, adding to our Star Wars references, you might recall that Yoda said that there is no try, there is only do. And unfortunately, some folks infer this to mean that only a successful action has validity. That's not the intent of the phraseology. In fact, the origin of that phrase is all about intent. You've probably even heard the phrase about shooting with intent. Whether you have or have not heard of it is less important than understanding what it means. So to help you understand what we talk about when we talk about shooting with intent, ask yourself some questions. In fact, I propose that you ask the W5H questions about your shot. Why are you making the image? Is there a story that you really wanted to tell that you saw that you think is informative and powerful? Who are you making the image for? Obviously you're making the image for yourself. That's absolutely critical, but who else might benefit from the opportunity to look at this image? What's the story that's in the image? Do you have a story that is causing you to want to make the image? Are you seeing something that's an overlay to what is actually happening that is bringing something out in you? Emotion, passion, anger, frustration. What's the story? Where should the image have its greatest power? This can be simplified to the reality that an image or a clip really can only have one primary subject. So when you're doing your assessment, where should the image have its greatest power? Is that subject clear? Is the subject easy to see? Does the presence of the subject capture the viewer? Or is there so much stuff that it creates confusion? When does the image communicate to a viewer? Does it communicate in a specific time or specific place? Does it require some other things to be happening for that communication to be most effective? How does the image engage with someone else? Think about how that image impacts a viewer and how, when it impacts them, it makes a difference. Now I said before, you absolutely should be shooting for your own joy and not shooting for anyone else. The exception of course, is if you've undertaken the work for a paying client, that's a given, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about working to get better. When we think about that, we really have to be shooting for ourselves, at least as part of our context. And this is not a new idea. The great painters did this with themselves as the primary arbitrator of whether the painting was working or not. But they also chose to understand that the painting would have more longevity if they could answer these kinds of questions about how, why, when, where, what it was going to impact viewers. Asking these questions before pressing the shutter is what we mean by shooting with intent. It's elegant. It's not random. Seeing is done with intent. It's not random. When we see, we are actually trying to see. We are doing an action. 
listen, it's happened to all of us that we've said, you oh, I've gone some to this, to this place and, you know, I looked around and there's nothing here to shoot. The reality is if we're truly working with intent, we will discover through seeing that there's an awful lot of stuff to shoot. I've been on a number of walks with folks and I go, well, you know, I didn't see anything. And in a space of about 12 feet, I could typically find a dozen or more elements that are interesting, that have story that we glossed over because we're not seeing. Sometimes, in fact, a situation will feel overwhelming with things to shoot. And this happens to us very commonly when we go to a new place or try a new scenario and in our enthusiasm, forget about seeing first. We're actually inundated with content, and because there are too many choices, we make no choice. So we shoot everything. Then we get home, and we bring the images into the computer for review and edit, and we get a serious case of lunch bag letdown because we really haven't got anything that's got longevity. It's got no legs. We may have nice pictures or nice clips, but they don't have the strength to stand because they were made without intent. Sometimes we haven't built the discipline to see or even want to share our great picture. That's okay, but that's not a tool for growth. We can only grow when we have applied ourselves to seeing and actually making the image long before we get to pressing the shutter or activating the record button. If this sounds like hard work, you're right. It is hard work. Seeing is about change. It's about awareness and recollection. It's all about paying attention. To help you with this, I've got an old exercise for you to work on that you can do anywhere with just a pencil and a pocket notebook. Now I'm gonna give you some direction where it really stands out, but really you can do this anywhere at any time. I first learned this as a preteen and I realized yesterday that, yeah, I too need to go back and practice some more because I've lost some of the visual acuity that is trained through the exercise. Sad fact is we all lose that. And I realized that this loss of acuity is likely a root cause of my recent dissatisfaction with my own shooting. The exercise isn't a social one. It's not a multitasking one. You have to do it on your own and you have to do it with full attention. Sure, you can go out with a friend or for company, but no talking while you're doing the exercise. Now, sometimes it's fun to go out with somebody else, another image creator, and then swap between what you're shooting to see who was more successful. This can be a very good dimensional learning tool. It's not required, but hey, some folks just don't like going out on their own, and this is a good way to work as a team. This exercise that I'll share with you was initially created as a memory retention development model for law enforcement but time has proven it to be ideal for visual artists as well. So here's what you do. To make it simple, you want to have a lot of content. So go to a place where you're going to find a variety of store or shop windows. If you have a mall nearby, that can work, or even the main street in your town. What you're going to do is repeat the steps 10 times in a single session. Not 9 and not 11. So go to the first window display and see it. See the subjects, the colors, their placement, the lighting, the props, everything that goes into it to make up the window experience. 
you probably got a smartphone or a watch. So set a timer and give yourself no more than 60 seconds to see the window. Now turn around and in your little notebook, write down everything that you remember. No cheating, no turning around, write down everything that you can remember, however much or how little that you can recall. Take however long it takes you to complete this. But don't be surprised if you run out of stuff to write down relatively quickly. Now turn around to the same window and check off everything in your notebook that you got right. Then put a slash and add a line where now you're going to write down the significant things that you missed. Did you get the colors right? Did you get all the subject matter? Did you leave something out entirely? How about how the light and the shadow are working? What about the composition? Were you able to actually describe the scene correctly in your little notebook? I'll tell you straight up front, the first few times you do this exercise, expect to have more misses than hits. It's normal and it's the primary reason why eyewitnesses are such horrible sources of information. Unless you take the time to train yourself to see, you actually see very little. Now, good work. Go do nine more shop windows. In the course of the 10 activities within this session, you're going to start to get better. However, you may find that there's a point where you start missing more than you did on the original test, or that by the time you've done 10, even if you think you can go on, it's time to stop. Now go get a beverage or a snack or perhaps an aspirin. You can't make better images if you can't see. I'm challenging you to go do this exercise on at least three different occasions. That means 30 windows. And then once you've done that, I'd like you to leave a comment on this episode on the photovideoguide.ca with your experience. Did it matter? Did it make a difference? Did you learn to see what's in front of you? Do you have an idea for an article, tutorial, video, or podcast? Do you have an imaging question unrelated to this particular topic? Send me an email directly at ross at thephotovideoguy.ca or make a post in the comments. When you do email questions on any imaging topic, I do try to respond within a day. When you go to buy gear, if you shop with B&H Photo Video, please consider doing so through the link on the photovideoguy.ca. When you buy through BNH through my link, you help support my efforts and it has no negative impact whatsoever on your shopping experience. If you find this podcast, the videos, the articles, or the tutorials of value, please consider clicking the donation tab in the sidebar of the website where you choose to buy me a coffee. Your donation actually doesn't go to buying me coffee. I'm already drinking too much. But it, what it does do is help me keep things going here. I'm Ross Chevalier. Thanks for reading, watching, and listening. And until next time, peace.